It's time once again for Unprofessional. Thanks so much for podcasting in. I am Lex Friedman, joined <laughs> as always by Dave Whiskus. Hi, Dave. Hi, Lex. You like that podcasting in, huh? That was a brand new intro style. You're testing something out there. Yeah, you know, the truth is that that comes from the uh, John Flansburg They Might Be Giants podcast. He has sometimes said thanks for podcasting in, so I thought I'd rip it off today. Just don't tell anyone. Uh, I, I won't. Anyway, our guest today, Dave, you're not going to believe this. Who do we got? Our guest today is uh, Sean Nelson. Hi, Sean. It's unbelievable. Hi. Hi, Sean. <laughs> I, I'm very happy to... I'm podcasting in in real time. That's You are. That is exactly right. Courtesy of, uh, courtesy of webnet.net. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you to the fine folks there. <laughs> yeah. But, Sean, tell, tell the listeners who you are. Um, well, that's... I, Not in an existential sense. The podcast is only about 45 minutes long, and I would need even more than that, even just to stammer <laughs> out a basic understanding for my own purposes. But I'm a uh, musician and writer and, um, you know, gadabout uh, from Seattle, <laughs> Washington. A uh, an international star of stage, screen, and radio. We should do a little bit of of, uh, of hyping right now. You have you have a project ready to to get released that you want to pimp real quick. Oh yeah, well I you know I I've in the past I've had a uh, I've had a sort of self defeating impulse to never promote anything that I uh, have ever done, and um, and so I'm going to <laughs> stand athwart my own, um, t- you know, my own instincts. Uh, and yeah, I have a record coming out uh, in, I, well, May. It was supposed to be April, but some things went awry. But uh, yeah, it's, it's under my name, Sean Nelson, and it's called Make Good Choices. Am I allowed to say that I've heard it? Yes. Well, only if you have. I have heard it, and it's excellent. Oh. Thank you. I'm pretty happy with it. It's uh, it's taken me mm, not quite ten years to actually do, but mm, almost. This is like a a Brian Wilson sort of situation. Mm, no, I mean I always picture Brian Wilson actually spending the whole ten years working on the same thing and <laughs> you know polishing it up and and changing things and retooling and kind of you know maybe he has to take some time off to. To you know, work his way through a psychotropic fugue state or something. <laughs> but no, with me it was just that I I would work on it, and then I would decide that I was abandoning it, and then just almost throw the hard drive into the river, and then decide not to do that and just put it in the closet, and then a year later come back to it and be like, you know, it's not, it's probably not, it's probably not that awful i'll just listen to it and then i'll think oh wow that's actually this is pretty good i mean it's not terrible and then i will um dust it off and decide okay i'm gonna finish it and then the process will repeat again and then i'll do other things and i decided um a year ago that i was going to actually finish it and actually get it out and i have very nearly done that i'm glad to hear that i'm not the only person who can't stand listening to like the first hundred playthroughs of something they've made yeah, I mean, it doesn't stop me from listening to it again and again, but uh, it's just it's just that voice, you know, that voice that uh, tells you that uh, everything you do is terrible and <laughs> that nothing about you is remotely appealing or uh, attractive to anyone under any circumstances. Well, that's the voice. Man, I do not know this voice at all. <laughs> <laughs> that is Poor the Lex. voice that has governed my uh, my existence for probably too long wow. and so i i'm i'm it's not that i don't hear it anymore it's just that i'm not 
giving it the keys. How do you get past that? Because for me, I I just have learned to ign- well not ignore it, but try not to accept that voice. Like I hear it and it nags at me, and it's not like I don't feel it, but I just sort of reject it out of hand and say, "Well, you know what? I'm probably wrong." Well, I would say that um, while I haven't, I I couldn't possibly suggest that I have actually conquered it. There did come a point where I I don't know if I figured it out or if I just sort of grew to the point where I could um, I could just not let it be in control like it was it would it would be you know it's one of the one of the voices i mean there are also hugely self-aggrandizing voices in my head and um those don't usually those aren't usually in charge for very long the the ones that are truly self-defeating i have um i have i just i, I had to i had to not let them do it because it was it was destroying my life and so uh, i didn't want my life destroyed I think that's a pretty good philosophy to not let it destroy your life. I'm just, you know, if I, whenever I create something, uh, most of the things I create, I generally feel proud of. And my instinct is I instantly want to share them probably before they're ready to be shared. You know, I finish, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a writer and I finish an article. I'm like, this is a great piece. This is a great op-ed. And I've got to get this in front of my editor and published immediately. Yeah. Um, the, and this, this is probably, I think my first time admitting this on this show, but this show of all the things I create is probably the hardest thing for me to listen to or for me to uh, a thing that I'm a part of the creative process for, for me to look back on and say, yes, I did great at this. Dave always wants to know, have I listened to the show yet after he's finished editing the episode and it goes live? <laughs> and right. it takes me a couple days usually to psych myself up to listen because and this is going to even make me cringe now these very words as I hear them later. I feel like I'm not that I'm terrible at this show, but I feel like uh, I hate listening to myself on the show and i'm not one of those people who you know if i hear my recorded voice i don't like it i'm fine with the sound of my voice and i i feel like i'm able to string together a coherent sentence i just always feel when i listen back to this show that uh i should have done better it's hard (laughs) sorry um, future me it's so hard to be uh extemporaneously cogent you know i mean you you even with the you know, the blessing of editing, you still, uh, you, you know, there are pauses and there are sentences that don't necessarily get all the way into, you know, they don't get wrangled into sentence form even ultimately. <laughs> but I, ha- I mean, I have very much the same thing. Like the minute I've done anything, even while I'm doing it, my impulse is always to show it to anyone because, you know, we're all trying to, well, not all, but all of me uh, are trying to, uh, you know, cram things into the giant gaping hole that uh, one's childhood uh, emerged from like a small crawling insect. And um, I I find that the problem with that is that you do a thing, you show a thing before it's done. And if the response is anything less than total enthusiasm, you feel like you have completely blown it. And that, that what you're doing is not, you know, your worst fears are confirmed. Your greatest hopes are quashed, and you really should have just waited until it was finished and 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 out there in the world. I heard a phrase, great phrase. I don't know where it comes from. It's I don't. I think it's like an adage from. Well, I've heard it from theater people, so you know, <laughs> take that with whatever <laughs> <clears throat> grains uh, are available. But so, uh, never show a fool unfinished work. And uh, I guess if you if you insert commas 
judiciously, you could be talking to yourself. <laughs> Never show, comma, fool, comma, an unfinished work. But, uh, but also, you know, it, it is, it, it's unfair to people. I mean, music is such a, uh, music is such a hard one because it takes a while probably a lot less time now that everybody's just making records in their kitchen, but it takes a long time for the finished thing to actually be all the way finished. And if you are ever in a position of playing a rough mix for someone and you have to say, well, uh, you know, the drums aren't going to sound like that. And, you know, this part will probably change, but right. Don't you, can't you hear the imaginary version of this perfect thing in my head? And of course the answer is no, no one can. And it is a, it's a, burdensome thing to ask someone to do and um and it also winds up uh damaging your connection to the thing i think so it's better to be patient um but i think you are you are a magazine journalist right right yeah a web and magazine that's right right so the i mean you get i i was a i worked at a newspaper for a little well more than 10 years and i got so spoiled by doing that i mean it's it was a lot of work. I wrote a lot in those years, and but I would do it, and at the end of every week, it would be published. And sometimes I would wish I had worked harder, or or even worked less hard. But um, it was always there, and I had this steady stream of interaction with some reader. And this was, you know, before before the world of comments, uh, that sort of hypercritical uh, interface, but. Uh, you know, you would get letters. People, you'd see people on the street. It would be, you had you had a good uh, disgorgement or whatever of, <laughs> of your uh, of your stuff. I heard uh, an interview once with Ben Folds, and he was talking about the writing of the song "Brick," and he was talking mm-hmm. about it. I think it was his drummer that came to him with the chorus and said, "I've got this this thing that I wrote. I don't know if it's any good. I keep playing it for people, and they tell me that it sucks. But what do you think?" And he listens to it and is like, "No, this is really good." And he's like, "Oh, because people kept saying it's like, well, of course people's gonna they're gonna say it sucks. Everybody's trying to be so cool all the time." And something about hearing him say that that sense of maybe when people are being jerks or being dismissive of things that I show them, maybe it has more to do with them than me. Well, I mean that that might be true, um, but then again, a standalone, you know, like eight measures of you know, a partial thing would sound disjointed to probably most people um, because they wouldn't be thinking of it in the framework of a larger song that didn't yet exist. And so, yeah, people are trying to be cool. But I've found that generally, even though, yes, there is the ongoing problem in the world of people uh, withholding their love and approval from people as a means to feeling power over them. <laughs> right. uh, there is also the just sort of honest reaction, like I, that. I guess that might be good in some way, but it doesn't sound good to me. That's actually the. That's a very generous thing for someone to say because the other version is, oh yeah, that's um pretty good. Did we decide we were going to have dinner or you know? So I get a lot like of a, that. Yeah. You, I mean, but it's also like you are sending out some sort of, I mean, not you personally, one is sending out some sort of wave of basically asking for approval. And it is a, I think it's a, an instinctive human trait to deny approval to those who ask for it too nakedly. I don't, I mean, that's been my, that's been my experience. I, I mean, I have, I have felt that impulse, but I also really believe in being, uh, 
I believe in the the specific form of generosity that has to do with, you know, like being an editor basically and, and looking at a thing as it is, trying to figure out what it wants to be and saying what, you know, what, what you think about that gulf, if there is a gulf. Sometimes it's right there. I just keep thinking too that with um, I, I, how wonderful it is that, say, Ben Folds and his drummer found each other. <laughs> yeah. Because, no, I, I, I mean, I think that occasionally you can discover these uh, creative people who can get it, you know, yeah. creative people who you can show an unfinished thing to, and they're going to be like, yes, I totally see where this is going. And I, you know, there's uh, one or two writers I work with where I can show them, you know, here's a piece and, you know, this, this half, this section only has subheads and I haven't actually written anything, but you're going to see the points I'm trying to make and how I'm going to get there. And they're like, yes, this is totally going to work and they can get it. Right. And when you find the people who can, who, who don't just speak the language, because there are plenty of musicians and plenty of writers and everything else. When you find people who speak it and think about it the same way you do and can see, uh, who can see from from the uh, the scaffolding to the finished mansion uh, yeah. the same way you do, that's, that's an awesome thing for your creative process. Yeah, absolutely. I had an ex-girlfriend who I was going through a, a writing spurt, and I was writing all the songs, <laughs> and I had sent her demos, and she kept coming back saying, oh, I really love this, I really love this, to every track I would send. Until the one I sent where she's like, I really don't like it. <laughs> Haven't seen her since. <laughs> <laughs> that was when I knew that like all the times that she said that she liked things, she was probably being sincere. Like Suddenly I could really believe that. Not that I didn't right. trust her. It was just that like you don't... As a creative person, you, you, it's, it's really hard to accept any kind of praise as being anything other than just placation. Right. I mean, but then again, she also might have been in her internal monologue. She might have been saying, oh, God, I, I just say I love everything all the time. I should probably, I should probably <laughs> say something critical so that he doesn't think I'm just a yes woman or, or – or maybe it was, you know, maybe it was a power play. Maybe it was her small way of trying to make you feel terrible about yourself that day. Why are you trying to ruin my self-esteem, Sean? <laughs> I'm not. I'm, 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 only <laughs> trying to, I'm only trying to tell you that you have to um, uh, abandon all of your dreams. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's if I have one message. If there's, if there's one thing we can tell the kids, just stop dreaming. Yeah, stop your dreams. Stop your disgusting dreams. I, I think that the the thing you described, Lex, is the uh, is that is a form of collaboration. It might even be the actual definition of collaboration. But that willingness to to see the future version of the thing is so much based on empathy and and you know like generosity and being willing to sort of get on board with that process. It's a it's a huge vote of confidence when it happens. I think it can also be a huge vote of confidence when somebody says, I don't like that thing that you did because it's honest more than likely. And also it's hard to get people to say anything in, you know, without the blessing of anonymity that is, that is, that might be, because a lot of people also do not know how to accept a negative note. You know, uh, they just, they get ugly. Right. When you're super excited, you say, listen to this new great thing I've created. And then somebody listens to the new great thing you've created and they say they don't like it. You have to be, even if that's hard to hear, if you're not going to be okay with it, then that person can never give you honest feedback ever again. Yeah. I used to be really bad about that. I've got, I think, I'd like to think I've gotten better about it. I think that it sort of, I think it depends on the moment. I mean, there is a great art form to knowing when to drop that bomb. So it's not just like, oh, you don't like it. So you just want to drench all of my beautiful strawberries in your disgusting urine. <laughs> the, the, it, it takes, it takes a certain kind of skill to be 
graceful in that moment. Because also the moment is so much about, you know, you caring about the person and being, uh, you know, like uh, supportive of their enthusiasm for what they've done. Um, and so I guess it does, I'm sure it does depend on the day. I think that when I learned that maybe the way other people see me isn't the way I see myself, that that was like gaining a superpower. Yeah. Because maybe the things that, like the things that I can pick apart about the way I create things or the way I you know, act in my daily life, maybe other people don't see those things. And I should stop right. acting as if they do. When you say that, Dave, and I think you're right that, you know, people probably don't see us the way we think that we do. I also think that more literally where when I look in the mirror and realize what I look like, it's not what I think I look like. I think I'm stuck on seeing myself at, I don't know, 22 or something. And when I picture what I look like, it's my 22-year-old self's face and haircut and everything else, and I look different. And so I, I honestly, I don't know, for example, what I look like with stubble. I mean, literally, I've seen myself <laughs> in the mirror with stubble. But when when I don't shave, I don't know, are people seeing me and just thinking I look slovenly? Do I have a Dr. House thing going? Do I have the George Clooney stubble effect? Where you know, Where am I falling on the scale of stubble as uh, unkempt versus design choice? Between the the Georges, Michael, and Clooney, that's the, that's the that's the spectrum. But you know, it's it's. But I I think you're right that I I don't know how people see me. I don't really know how I'm perceived as a person just in society, and I don't even know what I look like. That's that's all I wanted to say. But you can spend just... an, a, a crippling amount of time worrying about that or wondering about it or thinking about it or even talking about it on a podcast because the the for i mean i think what you said is really valuable but i also i also feel like there is a it's a it's not like a rev it might be a revelation it might be an epiphany or whatever but it it might uh it might just be a constant process by which you have to abandon the uh the importance of what other people see in your self-perception because you could also spend a lot of time trying to make them try, either trying to play up to how they see you or trying to make them see you a different way or whatever. And the, I think the, the thing that I've tried to believe or know is just that I can't spend any more time worrying about that because I just need to figure out how I actually am. Like how to be yourself is such a that's, – that's everyday struggle. This might be the deepest conversation we've ever had on this show. <laughs> um, well, would you like to talk about Shark Tank? <laughs> Man, I love that show. I'm not complaining. I mean, I, these are, to me, really important. They're, I mean, they are actually important things in my life, but they are important things because I like of whatever the kind of original brokenness was that made it have to be so important. I think a lot of people just kind of do their life. And whereas some other people who may or may not be sitting uh, at my desk are, you know, like driven to driven to like, well, they just like need to know what, what, how do I seem? Do I seem, you know, do I seem right to you in some way? And it's, it's a painful process. But as you get older, I think it becomes less so. I hope so. One of my maybe unhealthy techniques is I have a couple of people whom I've clearly put on pedestals, people I know personally in my from, from various points in my life. Are you talking about me? And no, <laughs> no. Uh, definitely not you, Dave. <laughs> um, no, but I'm thinking, you know, there are times when I, you know, it's, it's, it sounds so stupid when I verbalize it right now, but there are times when, you know. Think how your future self will hear it. 
basically future lex is thinking fuck that guy regarding present lex now <laughs> if you don't like it i'll just cut this part out and uh throw in a, a loop of you clapping from the beginning of the show <laughs> perfect right. that was but good that I, was um, when i liked you best i think um, <laughs> i appreciate that sean is, is your future self one of the people on the pedestal Ooh. Yes. No, okay. he is definitely I'm, not. Hell of a question. You know, I've got a couple friends who I think of when I want to be lazy with a life decision. You know, I, I you know, do I want to do the right thing or do I want to do the easy thing? And I think, you know, well, what would Cole do? And not that Cole is a perfect human being, but Cole's a guy who I knew in college and, you know, I'm still connected to now. But Cole, generally speaking, has a very selfless life outlook and will do mm-hmm. the right thing, even a great burden to himself. And I certainly don't always do that. But when I'm trying to motivate myself, I think, come on, be like Cole right now. What would Cole do? And there's a couple other people who have that that spot in my mind. And then when I start thinking like that, I wonder, well, who am I? Am I Lex? Am I Lex who's trying to be like Cole? Am I Cole? Am I a guy who has to think like other people to do the right thing sometimes? And it's uh, So my point is, Sean, thank you, because now I have no idea who I am or what I'm doing, <laughs> so I appreciate it. All right, I'll see you guys later. The question about putting future self on a pedestal, I think about that that thing of uh, if you want to learn piano, like it takes five years or whatever, and you have to think back, well, if I'd started five years ago when I first thought of learning how to play piano, I'd be done by now. Like, I'd, oh, yeah. I'd be good at it. I go through that a lot where I'll try to project, like, I want to do this, but I don't really feel like doing it, but in five years, will I wish that I had? Right. But if you can, if you can put yourself in your own consciousness five years in the future you are like that's like a superpower right there because really uh, you just don't have any idea what i i mean i always think about how you know people talk about wishing they could be young again or how like you know certain periods of their lives is like oh god when i was you know high school or my 20s or whatever there's the best years of my life i just i can only think well i can't even possibly relate in the least to that because those really most of the years of my life were just i was so miserable but i i think i was just incapable of not being miserable so that was sort of my was my master gesture and as i've gotten older i don't i don't feel i don't feel old per se i just feel less brutalized by my own self-created misery and so i i you know, I, I kind of, I guess it's sort of, there's an art to giving yourself a bit of a break. But at the same time, I, you know, I don't really play a musical instrument per se. I play, I taught myself to play piano a little bit so I could write songs. But I've, you know, I've been in bands with people who, I mean, really everybody I know, it seems, has been playing guitar since they were 10 years old. And I don't want to be the one in my peer group who is the worst at something. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay to not be the, I'm fine with not being the best at things or at anything, but it's the prospect of being embarrassingly the worst at something that is just, it's too, it's too much. And that, I mean, unfortunately, that has also kept me from starting a lot of things years ago that by now would have borne fruit. Um, I don't know, that might be a much more pessimistic way of uh, uh, addressing what you're talking about, Dave, <laughs> but it, it, it uh, it's real. Like that's a, you know, I... I have been a lot of my friends and associates and whatever, they've just been doing a thing for a long time because it made sense to them when they were young. And what made sense to me when I was young was, you know, slothful introspection. <laughs> and I think I could say I might be the best at that. <laughs> I believe it. Maybe you should get a guitar now and don't tell anybody you're learning. And then in 10 years, you'll just come out with a guitar and blow everybody's mind. 
Yeah. Like I'll be, a, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to imagine making any sort of public, uh, performance <laughs> of anything in 10 years, but well, then again, the water, the water will have run out and we'll all be just killing each other for chewing gum. Well, at least we've got something to look forward to. Yes. If I could drink <laughs> that guitar, I would do it. One thing I, uh, you're making me think about now, Sean, is I, I constantly have this notion that I am at any given time, the best version of myself that I've been. Yeah. So, hmm. you know, when I think back to the life decisions and the, the life philosophies and the things I was doing and thinking four, five, six, seven years ago, you know, I'm like, well, man, that's a time when future likes definitely judges past likes harshly. It's like, well, I'm now I'm now I'm definitely making the right thing. You know, now my writing is really good. And right. now my parenting style is really good. And now I'm, I know how to be a really good husband and be good in my relationship with my wife or whatever else. And every, yeah. I just I mean, I think I like myself. I want to be clear because I think I sound like I hate myself. Right now. I think I no, like myself, no, no. but I, I definitely like current me the most. <laughs> I think that's the best you can ever hope for because I don't know. I I had a huge. I mean, I was verging on a breakdown. I would say maybe like the last the last five years were there was a lot of pretty you know intense uh, soul searching whatever. And I just looked around in my life and I realized that everything in my life was predicated on decisions I had made when I was 19. You know, I, <laughs> at the tender age of 38, realized that <laughs> I not only didn't relate to that person anymore, I didn't agree with anything I used to think. Any of the kind of hard convictions I had at that time, they were all based on speculation anyway. So I kind of just tried to let as many of them go as I could. And I, f I felt a lot better as a result. I think for me, the the pessimistic description of how I can relate to that is I'm in a constant state of thinking that past me is a real asshole. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, that's, I, that's real. I like, not you. I, I didn't know. Past you. <laughs> I always thought he was a great guy. I, there was a, I heard the phrase at some point, like you have to, you have to be compassionate to your former self because otherwise you really could just spend all your time regretting every choice you had made that, that wasn't the lucky one that let you wind up in you know like that the didn't explode basically having compassion it's not like the inner child although i think it's I, I i hate that expression but i i do think that there is something to it like that's a, a really important part of being able to look yourself in the eye now is not to have to be like well i used to be a total piece of shit but <laughs> <laughs> but look at this amazing sweater and pants color combination I picked out today. <laughs> you know, there, there, there is a there is an element of of self flagellation. I think when you look at your past, if you're you know if you're, I don't know, some people maybe are just able to blithely feel great about everything, or they don't even ask these questions, which I feel like would be such a great gift to not be able to think about all the time. You know, it's it is important to have compassion. Because if you can't have compassion for yourself, it's harder to actually be compassionate in general. Would it be a gift to not ask those questions? That seems like the mark of a sociopath. I don't know. I mean, to uh, I think to I mean to not be self-critical, to not be like aware of your you know involvement with the world and you know like your whatever your procedural self betterment. I hate this is the worst language in the world. Uh, other than Dutch, um, I, uh, I, uh, 
I, I think that there is a certain relentless self-examination that is the result of, I don't know, the, some particular strand of culture plus, you know, whatever the kind of uh, institutional narcissism that has become increasingly ubiquitous because of the social media, etc. Um, <laughs> the self is just basically always at the fore of the conversation. I mean, witness this, which could have been just a, a funny podcast about about records we like or or <laughs> or uh you know films we've seen and not seen but now it's it's really it is this <laughs> epic rambling by me disquisition on um selfness uh but it is actually the most not myself but the self is a fascinating subject in a lot of ways oh agreed let me ask you this and this probably breaks our rules slightly for what we are and aren't supposed to talk about but do you find that it helps or makes no difference to have fans where if i write something and i'm i'm less certain of how you know, if I write something, I think, man, this did not come out well. And then, say, my editor or readers tell me about how great it is. Or I write a piece that I'm not that impressed with, and then it gets linked all over the internet. Well, it is. It's uh, it's it's complicated because it is massively gratifying to have someone say in a one-on-one environment that something I did meant something to them or means something to them. Uh, I love that, and I I I think I'm over the kind of shame that prevented me from admitting that I <laughs> loved it uh, for a long time. <laughs> That's also a superpower. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, the, the other thing is that as it, you know, it's been, it's been a long time for me since I've done anything that was kind of in a big public eye, you know, so the fear that you're invisible motivates a lot of not just my, but our, I think, um, actions every day. I mean, I do believe that that is a huge part of why every bite of every sandwich is relentlessly chronicled in public and then compared and weighed by how many people like it and all that stuff. There is a, there's a deep neurosis there, but there's also a deep need uh, there to not to, you know, to sort of assert your existence. Um, I've tried to constrain myself from, from participating in that as much as I used to, and certainly as much as I have the occasional instinct to do. But going to your original question, I think that there is a tendency to kind of rely on that kind of, the kind of feedback. I mean, there was a, I don't know who said it. I think it was Johnny Rotten, but it might've been Mel Torme. It was like, don't, um, one of the two, one of the two, they're indistinguishable in so many ways. Um, (laughs) My favorite frontman. Um, don't, you know, don't read the press. Weigh it. You know, that's always been a kind of when, when I hmm. heard that, I, I thought of that as a model. Like, I think it is it's poison for me to read any review. And I, 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 I remember so it was vivid and it was concrete when Harvey Danger, which was my the band I was in for a long time and it's now defunct. Um, but we, we had broken up and we got back together we made a a last record and we did it all ourselves and we, you know, released it and we kind of put it out for free and for sale. You know, it was the, it was the very beginning of that um, for us anyway. Not many bands had done it in a real public way yet, as far as I knew, but I was so, I was just, just like, I needed it to get 
good reviews inside. I just like it was so important to me. I, ne- I needed that validation. And then the reviews came out and I would read them and a lot of them were good and a lot of them were not. And, you know, but it was not like it's not like it was a conversation that the world was having. It was just, you know, it was a, a, re- a, re- a record came out and the people whose job it was to review it reviewed it. And the people who whose hobby it is to talk about records some talked about it, some didn't. It existed, and the the opinions of various people were so important to me that I became aware that that was not healthy. And the there was, I think, one yeah, one review in particular really did it. And at the moment I read it, it was like not a not a terrible review, not a certainly not a rave. I haven't read any reviews of anything I've done since that day in two thousand five or six whenever it was and i haven't googled myself since then and you know i mean i have twitter and i have facebook and i am not above occasionally looking through the various at replies or whatever um (laughs) but i don't it was a huge i don't know it was like a straight jacket made out of old hair shirts and (laughs) (laughs) there's a visual yeah but i mean this is this does all relate to the question of whether it's good to have fans and I, i mean i think it is uh because because it to me, this is, I don't believe this is a, a universal objective truth, but it's really true for me that with music in particular, a song to me is not done until people hear it. But, um, and, and you're curious to know what people think of it, for sure. But I feel like if you're playing it in public, you know how people are receiving it because you're there with them in the room and blah, blah, blah. Needing to know too much about what everybody thinks about what you do is uh, is toxic for me and it's not that i'm not curious because i am but i have it's it's a curiosity i feel it is essential not to indulge and so like not to know all the stats has become really important to me and i feel a lot happier since then i think there's a clear line between fans well i mean there's there's with an audience there's always going to be a relationship and the difference between like recording music and putting it out and playing a live show is the the real time versus time delayed version of that relationship. But the part of the relationship I'm concerned with is the people who have like an, an, an emotional investment on any level uh, in, in hearing what I'm doing, not the people who are getting paid to review something, but mm-hmm. the people who, who are showing up because they cared to begin with. What did they think? Right. Um, absolutely. And I, I feel like it's, I think it's good to know if there's been some, you know, cataclysmic imbalance or upset you know like if something terrible is happening it's good to know like maybe not everybody loves that i don't know that iron cross you shaved into your scalp for the show or whatever (laughs) but uh not you personally obviously but um lou reed but the you know i kind of i really blanch at the current thing of everybody knowing exactly how many I, i i dislike the fact that you can quantify uh, fandom, um, even though I know there are economic reasons for it, but the general, it's funny, the collapse of the music business. And I'm actually talking now as a fan far more than a professional anything, because good news is I'm not really a professional anything at this point. But um, uh, <laughs> the collapse of that business has weirdly centered all, almost all of the conversations that everybody has about art around economics and i mean it's not like nobody talks about aesthetics but i have i have been party to and and trapped by and overheard 
so many more conversations about how people make money than I have about what they do or why they do it in the last five years than I had ever in my life up to then. And I don't like it. I'm not, it's like, it's, it's not that there's no interest in it, but it's so much less interesting than every other possible thing you could be talking about. And yet it just seems to be, that's where the conversation always goes. And um, I think the thing about like the knowing exactly how many people like what you do or know what you do or whatever plays into that because you know quantity and quality are uh are always a little bit uh it's always a little bit tricky to keep those things apart our industry well i say our industry our industry the technology industry is not immune to that either i feel like Everywhere you go, there's people looking for how do we monetize this? How do we get more viewers? How do we get more clicks? How do we get more people to download our app? And I feel fortunate that I've surrounded myself both professionally and creatively with people who tend to do the things they do because they care more than they're concerned about money. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, junction there because I mean, technology apart from like I don't know. Uh, tool and die shops are you know technology tends to be uh populated by extraordinarily creative people because you have to be creative to a do it at all but b to compete and and but the but i think the crucial difference is they may do the things that they may it might be true that they would do what they did even if they weren't being paid to do it but basically there is an end game to most technological advances that has to do with industry because it just it just simply is that way and there's nothing there's nothing at all wrong with that it's just you know the the relationship of art and commerce in that sphere is a lot more um it's a lot harder to parse whereas with music i mean yeah it's great to be able like to to play a show and make money and to support yourself doing it is like one of the greatest gifts of all but at a certain point the idea that people are entitled to make a living from what they do or entitled to make a living at all, it became kind of an in intrusive notion. Everybody has to make a living. That's true. Music in particular is like, it's not a, it, it was only a mass market thing for a short time and for strange reasons. And I think it's potentially good that it's not one anymore. It was the ability to record music, right? Where you, you went from, uh, you, in order to hear music, you'd have to hear people performing live to suddenly you could buy a record. And people would want mm -hmm. to invest their money in owning the record to take it home. And now the even that process has kind of been democratized to the point where anybody can kind of make a record and put it on the internet, and then it's just out there. And you can there's all sorts of stuff you can listen to for free. And the yeah. economy of of music just sort of I don't want to say disappears, but it definitely changes. Well, the, I mean, there were there were a lot of conspicuous reasons for you know, the, the music business kind of getting bigger and bigger as it did. And it was because they were riding these tides of cultural phenomenon that they helped, you know, engineer and manipulate. But they also were, you know, like the death of the music business is not because of file sharing. File sharing is a reaction to the nefarious, <laughs> you know, uh, practices of the business, of the music industry. It should never have been as big as it was. And the fact that it isn't anymore is good for music, but um, it's also like complicated because we've all had to kind of watch it happen. Um, I know this is veering 
eerily close to professional conversation. But <laughs> I, I say again, I'm I'm really only talking as a, a fan and observer. This I I got to say, this is probably the most interesting conversation we've ever had. Oh yeah, suck on that, Susan Orlean. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Are, she's she's amazing. <laughs> I, I, I really I enjoyed that. I love her writing, and I, I was really I, I was very happy to be on this after I heard that. I was happy anyway. I was happy you asked, but um, that was a particularly good one. Let's take a quick break, Dave, so we can acknowledge this episode's fine, fine sponsor, shall we? I like fine, fine sponsors. Yeah, and this is you know one of the finest of the fine. Our sponsor is, once again, our friends at Squarespace, squarespace.com. As you know well, since we use Squarespace for unprofesh.com, uh, it's a, it's a do it yourself website platform that lets you make a website or blog in just a few minutes. You get a free domain name. They handle all the hosting. You get 24 hour customer support. They've given us customer support and it's pretty great. You build your site with drag and drop. It's super easy to add in modules and move stuff around, customize it, CSS, tweak it to your heart's desire, but they've got so many templates that you can choose from that even if you are terrible at design like I am, uh, you can still make a pretty nice looking site with very minimal effort. The design aspect of it is is almost a little strange because I'm used to having to go in and tweak numbers and letters and things. And this time when we were setting everything up for unprofesh.com, you just click on a button and then you go to the thing you want to change and just change it in line. It kind of blew my mind. It's pretty magical. And um, the more I learn about Squarespace, the more amazed I am by the amount of things you can do with it. They also have that whole new commerce thing that you should check out if you have anything to sell because they use Stripe to handle all of your purchases and uh, they don't take a cut. Squarespace doesn't take a cut, so it's kind of amazing. But uh, what you want to do is go to squarespace.com slash unprofessional. And when you go there, you can start a free trial. You don't even need to give them a credit card because it's an actually free, free trial. And if you decide to purchase, you want to click enter an offer code below the uh, pricing option at checkout. And the offer code you want to use is unprofessional1. And that's a 10% off discount. So it's squarespace.com slash unprofessional, U-N-P-R-O-F-E-S-S-I-O-N-A-L. And then that offer code you're going to use is unprofessional with the number one after it. And if you want to see a good example of a site put together on Squarespace, just go to unprofessional.com and you can see we're using one of their templates. We're all, uh, it's, it's all fairly template-y. It's lovely. We're very happy with it. Over time, we're going to do more and more modification stuff to it, which is really easy for us to do, and uh, it, it, it always ends up looking good. We've had a hard time making the thing look bad. And uh, if you want to look at a very nice website that's not hosted by Squarespace, go to twitter.com slash unprofesh or facebook.com slash unprofesh. And you know what? This will be the first time we mention it, maybe, but uh, one extra bonus reason we love Squarespace, and we'll get into this more in a couple, uh, couple months' time, but they are uh, helping to send the show to Australia. Not permanently. Just temporarily. It's not, we're not being, you know, expelled from the country or anything. It's, this is, it's part of the unprofessional world tour. That's right. Coming soon to a city near you. Well, let's get back to Sean, shall we? <laughs> yeah, let's get back to the show. The Flansburg one was really good. He's, uh, I've never known him really, really super well, but I've known him for, I guess, about 15 years. Wow. And he directed a Harvey Danger video. Oh, and really? He was, Which one? Yeah, the second one, the one that was... <laughs> the first one that was only aired twice. <laughs> um, <laughs> there were a couple of those. But uh, he, th- they might be giants, and Harvey Danger played at uh, Bumbershoot together in the uh, big Seattle music festival. And I met him, and I was so excited. I, you know, I, they might be giants was one of those bands for me. Actually, for all of our, everybody in our band, I had such immense respect for them, and I just loved their records. And 
the way he just sort of strides through the world <laughs> is uh, is so inspiring and fascinating. He's such a smart guy. And so almost painfully affable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, in fact, actually painfully affable at times. Um, <laughs> Um, if you've ever if you've ever been present for the third picture of martinis definitely painful um but yeah he's just really like smart and there's a certain amount of like i i proceed through life with my ringing hands in front of me at all times and 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 his whole attitude is like why would you worry about that just do the thing that you do and you know blah and when he said <laughs> when he said that kind of thing to me i was so obsessed with worrying about what you know what I might be doing wrong or what people might think or what was the right thing to do. And, and he just sort of, he just seemed to be one of those guys who just knew what the right thing to do was for himself. And it turns out that that common sense and that sort of self-knowledge combined with the really relentless creativity that he has. And both of those guys have mixed together for this thing where you just like, yeah, they, they were sort of in a way, it seemed like they're an unlikely band to have become the, kind of institution they are but in another way they are a completely self-contained institution you know like they are they, when I, I can't remember which of you said that the the um i think it was the matching them with Penn and teller in in your minds yeah that was me <laughs> yeah like that i just thought that was so exactly that was exactly right and i don't know why i had never sort of put that together but they both have that like they know who they are and so you know, the fact that there are people out there who would be like, they might be giants. Those guys are dorks or whatever. Um, (laughs) Which is the, I mean, that was always the, that was always the um, complaint when there was one, but they stuck around long enough and were durable enough and were good. I mean, they were, they are so, they're so good that the fact that some people don't get it is completely immaterial. And I know that sounds obvious, about anything, but like it's so important to remember when you're, you know, when you're proceeding into the world doing anything creative that no matter how many people like you, there will be far more people in the world who either never hear of you or hate you. Just that's just <laughs> math, right? And and it's so much more important for you to know than for you know than for anyone else. Which is to say, haters gonna hate. Exactly. <laughs> that's uh, that's the long way around. The good news is those people are going to hate you probably no matter what you did. So there's not really a whole lot of sense in putting yeah, exactly. thought into what they think or why. So go ahead and drown those kittens in the bathtub. <laughs>